above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. We live in a world where advertisers will basically try and sell us the product, uh, basically by telling us that what they have to offer us is the best thing you could ever buy. So this car is the best car you could ever buy. This is the best shampoo. These are the best sausages. This is probably the best lager in the world. This film that's come out is the is the must-watch film of 2020. This is the must-read book of 2020. This TV is must-watch TV, and the list goes on and on and on. We live in a bit of southeast London in Catford where there are just countless takeaway shops, and I've noticed that takeaway shops in particular are very good at naming themselves in, with these kind of huge grand claims as to how great they are as a takeaway shop. So we have the best kebab shop, the best uh, fish and chip shop, the best fried chicken shop, the best kebab and chicken shop, the best chicken and kebab shop, the best fish and kebab and chicken shop, and you, you get the picture and it goes on and on. And we kind of get so used to this kind of advertising that it just kind of bounces off us. I did wonder if there was a church out there which also was doing the same kind of advertising, I don't know, but this is the best church in the world. I'm not sure that would work so well. But we just get so used to these kind of claims that it just, they just kind of bounce off us. Which means that when we read a passage like Proverbs 4 and what's written in the middle of Proverbs 4 in verse 23, sometimes we kind of can miss the size of the statement that we've just read. Proverbs 4, like you know, virtually all of Proverbs, is a, is a proverb all about wisdom. And in this proverb, it's a, it's a picture of a father speaking to a son, and he's downloading the importance of wisdom. You need to get wisdom. You need to hold on to these instructions. You need to uh, stay away from evil and evildoers. You need to be careful what you look at and how you speak, and it goes on. And then in verse 23, we get this huge statement and claim where it says, above all else, guard your heart. Now, if you're used to church at all and you've been around church, you may well know that phrase, guard your heart. It might be a phrase you've used. I've used that phrase. And in fact, I was in a conversation with someone only in this last week or so where they said to me, I just know in this situation I, I'm going to need to guard my heart. And I think we may all kind of know what we mean by that. But it's interesting when you come to try and explain what does it mean to guard your heart, sometimes we get a little bit more vague about what we're actually saying which means sometimes we don't really know how to do it. So for the rest of this talk today, what I want to talk about is what the Bible means when it says that we need to guard our heart and why the Bible seems to say it is so critical that we do that. Now, if I was to ask you to come to my house and I was going to say, look, I'm, I'm going away for a few weeks. I need you to come and live in my house and I need you to kind of guard it because in one of my rooms, is a selection of cardboard boxes. And I, I need you to sleep in that room. You can't leave. You have to just stay there. You've got to guard them with your life. Ideally, I want you to sleep on top of the boxes and protect them with everything you have. You'd probably, I hope, have some questions as to whether that's a particularly good idea. You might say, look, I'm happy, Phil, to come to your house and I'm maybe even happy to look after the house. And if it really makes a difference to you, I will check in on the boxes. But I'm not going to guard them with my life and I'm certainly not going to sleep on top of them because they're just boxes. But if I was to say to you, um, listen, I need you to come to my house. I'm going away for a while and I need you to protect it and guard it because in one of my rooms is a load of gold. Now, just so you know, this is just a story. I don't have a load of gold in my house. In fact, any gold as far as I know. But imagine that I said that to you 
and I need you to guard it with your life. You would probably get it. You go, okay, I, I might be able to do that. And if you're kind of clever, you might say, what's in it for me? But you would understand it because we guard the things we value. Gordon MacDonald, who's a, a Christian writer, uh, wrote a book years ago called Ordering Your Private World. And in that book, he says that all of us basically have two worlds to manage. We have our outer world, which is the world of our achievements or, and the things we do, uh, the relationships we have. And that is an outer world that we need to take care of and manage. But we also have an inner world, which is uh, our more private world of who we are and what we believe and what we value. And for the sake of this talk today, we'll call it, if you like, our hearts. And Proverbs 4 is saying that when it comes to your inner world, you need to guard it, to pay attention to it, to, if you like, assign this, looking after of it, caring for it, guarding it, top priority in your life. And then it answers the why question. The why question is always the key question. Why do I need to do that? And then it says, because your heart is the wellspring of life. In other words, there is something about the condition of your heart which will affect the direction and the fruitfulness of everything else in your life. All your relationships, your achievements, all your priorities, all the things you're gonna do, the direction and the quality of all those things will be totally related to the condition of your heart. In other words, real life works inside out now and not outside in. Now the truth is we find it hard to kind of hear that or to live like that because we live in a Western culture where we are bombarded with the message that actually life works the other way around. It works outside in. And we're encouraged simply to focus on our external world, our careers, our achievements, our status, with the idea being that if we manage all our external world well, and if we are successful in the eyes of other people, then if you like, that external world will deliver to us internally the contentment, the love, the joy, the peace, the things that our hearts so badly crave. If you like, the world teaches us that the wellspring is out there in all the things we do and our external world. And that's why every advert you ever watch basically is encouraging that if you buy this or get this or have this, it's going to give you something externally to your internal experience. If I purchase that product, I will feel happier or safer or more at peace. If my external world improves, if I get more and have more and earn more, then my inner world, my heart, will be more joyful, more content, more at peace. But somehow life works outside in. But Proverbs 4 says that life never works like that. Real life, life in all its fullness that Jesus talks about in John 10, always works inside out. And that your heart is the wellspring. And when it says that, when it says above all else, it's not giving us a piece of advice to kind of put alongside other bits of advice. Proverbs 4 is fundamentally challenging our worldview, how we view the world, what is important and what is not, what counts and what doesn't count, what is a priority and what isn't a priority. And I want to suggest that that theme runs throughout the Bible and comes up again and again and again. Psalm 1, the very first psalm, begins with these words. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. In other words, if you want to bear fruit in your life and bear fruit in season, you need to plant yourself somewhere. You need to plant yourself with God. You need to know him and walk with him and you will bear fruit. It works inside out. Jesus says in John 15, these famous words, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, fruitfulness is the product of remaining. It's the product of abiding. In, John, in Luke 12, Jesus teaches about the folly of living your life completely focused on your external world and ignoring your heart and your soul. So someone in the crowd said to him, Teach, tell my brother to divide uh, the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he says to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus then goes on to tell a story, quite a famous story about a man. He's a farmer, but basically he has land, he kind of has crops, and basically he gives his life to accumulating and accumulating more and more and more. He gets more crops, he builds bigger and bigger barns, he tears them down, he builds more barns. He has greater and greater achievements, yet he completely ignores the condition of his soul, his inner life. And Jesus says he's a fool because he thinks he's gaining his life, but he's completely missing. He's ruining his life. He's going to completely miss life. Now, don't get me wrong. This message is not a message that is a plea for a very quiet, contemplative life where we basically don't do anything. I'm all in for achieving and working and striving to be effective and do all we can. It's just that the Bible keeps telling us again and again that life and fruitfulness and fruitfulness which counts always works inside out. And that what most counts most in your life is who you are becoming, not what you are achieving. And who you are becoming will be the very thing which impacts more than anything else what you will achieve and what you do and what will bear fruit in your life. And that's why Proverbs 4 says, above everything, more important than anything else, guard this. And guarding it begins with valuing it. It starts with us all deciding, do I believe this? Where will I give my focus or my attention? Is it going to be simply on my external world? Am I going to go after trying to look as successful as I can? Am it going to be all about my achievements? Or will I prioritize looking at, considering, cultivating who I am becoming, who I am growing to be? What will I value? That's where it begins. Because what we value is what we give attention to. Uh, years ago, a good friend of mine, and it is actually a friend of mine, I'm not telling a story about me undercover, this is a friend of mine called Dave, I went to university with him. While we were at university, he bought an old second-hand car. And it was, truth be told, the kind of car that even before you even got inside of it, you could tell this car was not very well. Um, it just didn't look good, it didn't smell good, it just, it had a, it was the kind of car you looked at and you asked him, did you actually pay money for this thing? 
Anyway, he bought it. And quite soon into having it, he decided to take on quite a long journey. I think over 100 miles away, he was driving, I think, to Portsmouth. And I wasn't on that journey, but I heard all about it afterwards. And basically, very soon into this journey, a warning light comes up on his dashboard. Basically, the car has no oil in it. No one has looked after this car very well, and there's no oil in this car. But rather than stopping and trying to sort out what the car was telling him, he just ignored it. He just said, I just got to keep going. I'm late, I'm busy, I'm only interested in the, where I get to. Hopefully these old cars have signs that come up all the time. I'm just gonna ignore it and hope it goes away. And they just kept going, kept driving, and they paid no attention to the warning sign. And eventually they get where they wanna to get to. But on the return journey, the light is still on. This car is clearly not well. It's not driving well, it's making odd noises, it's smelling very strange, and they just keep going. And then after a few more miles, 10, 20, 30 more miles, eventually the light is kind of going mad at them, and the car grinds to a halt, uh, the engine basically implodes, and it is going nowhere, and the car is dead. And then eventually they just dump it somewhere in the south of England, and they get various letters with the police chasing them for several months afterwards. Now, my friend probably knew that he should have paid attention to what was going on, that he should have stopped, he should have checked out what this warning light was trying to say to him. He probably knew, if he'd thought about it, that the success of the journey was dependent on whether this warning light was telling him something important or not. But for a whole lot of reasons, he just ignored it, he just kept going. He's only interested in where he was going and what he was doing. He's just interested in the externals. And he just hoped all the little warning signs would go away. You see, when we ignore our inner world, what's going on inside of us, there will be warning signs. Our hearts will try and tell us that all is not well within us. The little warning signs will flicker on and off in our lives. And all sorts of things can indicate to us. Galatians 5 in the New Testament uh, has a famous passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, that when you become a Christian, you will experience the Holy Spirit coming to live in your life. And part of walking with Jesus is that the, the Spirit of God, God will bring things to fruit in your life. And you will experience things like love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. In other words, there is the very real possibility and promise that if you walk closely to Jesus, these things become, just grow in your heart and they are, God forms them and fashions them, fashions them within you. But that means that if I am increasingly joyless, that if I struggle to be patient, if I experience less and less peace, more and more, if you like, anxiety, if my gentleness is not evident or if self-control, if you like, has gone in reverse, if I'm quick to get angry and sl slow to show love, if I snap at my kids all the time and I'm always thinking about something else, if I'm never present in the moment and I can't really experience gratitude for where I am and, and what I've already got, these are like little warning signs going off in my life, flickering up on the dashboard of my heart. And Proverbs says that if you're going to guard your heart, which is the wellspring of life, you need to pay attention and you need to pay attention to the warning signs. Sometimes we are fortunate enough to have uh, people who love us who will tell us about the warning signs they can see in our hearts. 
they will hopefully gently point them out to us that maybe all is not well inside of us and that is producing something outside of us which is not so healthy or good. And I want to suggest that when we have people who do that, that we should try and listen. It's not easy, but we want to try and pay attention to what is coming to us and being pointed out to us because if you want to guard it, you need to value it. And if you're going to value it, you need to pay attention to it. And if you're going to pay attention to it, I also want to suggest you need to keep surrendering your heart. Now, it's interesting to me that when we think of the word guarding, I don't know what you think of, but I I tend to think that it's a fairly defensive kind of word. We tend to think if I'm going to guard something, it means I'm going to defend it. I'm going to, how do I stop bad things from happening to me or or my staff? I'm going to protect it and stop things being, being taken from me. I don't know if you've ever had anything stolen, but you know, I've had, we've had a you know, bike stolen in the past and particularly we've had bikes stolen from our shed. And uh, the more bikes we've ever had stolen, the more locks I now have to the point that I think I'm a bit of a frustration to my family because our bikes are locked down because I want to defend them. I want to protect them. It also means it's almost impossible to get them out of the shed, which is a bit counterproductive when you've got bikes, but you kind of want to defend. It's very defensive. If you want to guard the chocolate in your house, which believe you me, in our house we have to do, then you probably have to hide it, ideally in your stomachs, so that no one else can get their hands on it. You, you hide it so you prevent anyone else from getting access to it. That's how we guard things. But interestingly, I want to say, when it comes to guarding your heart, it doesn't work like that at all. It's not about locking it down. Guarding your heart, the heartbeat of guarding your heart, I want to suggest, is surrendering your heart. In Matthew 16, Jesus says these incredible words. He says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Why is it that we find often that there's more joy in giving than receiving? Why is it when we serve people selflessly, maybe even anonymously sometimes. There's a sense of contentment that grows in our hearts. Why is it that when we're generous with our money or we take a step of faith, we sense the kind of pleasure growing inside of us? I want to suggest we experience all those things because they all point towards this truth that we were not made for ourselves, but we were made for God to know him, to enjoy it, to orbit our lives around him, to give our lives, if you like, to a far greater purpose than just our own self-preservation, than our own gratification. It's how you and I were made. It's where all the joy and the peace and contentment is. And it all starts, and I want to suggest it all continues as a Christian, with the act of surrendering and surrender. You see, when we try and make our lives all about just us and our own preservation, our own gratification, our heart just kind of shrivels. We don't flourish. But when we give our lives away, when we surrender to a much greater purpose than ourselves, when we surrender to God, when we give our lives to him, when we say, God, I want to live my life for you, I want to line up with you, I want to do the things you called me to, regardless of whether they appear to be uh, you know, important in the eyes of the world or not. I'm going to love the people you call me to love. I'm going to serve the people you call me to serve. When we do that, we actually find that our hearts start to flourish because that's how we're made. And surrender is what we do when we first come to Jesus, when we give our lives to him. 
And surrender is what we have to keep on doing. It's, if you like, it's the posture of a believer. And it's the posture of anyone who wants to take seriously guarding their hearts. And somewhat ironically, I want to suggest when we surrender, we find strength. In Philippians 4, Paul writes uh, these words that I sometimes think are maybe the most culturally challenging words in the New Testament. And he writes this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul is saying that he has learned the great secret, but basically, ultimately, it's not the circumstances of life which deliver for him what his soul most craves, that real life works inside out. And then he says that he can do all this, he can believe this, he can live like this through him who gives him strength. It's interesting because to our minds, obviously, the word surrendering sounds a lot like weakness, and in some sense it is. Because when we surrender to God, we're admitting to him, I can't do this on my own. I'm not, I I need you. But it's through surrendering that we experience strengthening. Because when we surrender, when we come to God, we are putting ourselves in the position we were made for. That's when we begin to plant ourselves like in Psalm 1. That's when we start to abide in him. That's why we start to remain because we're saying to God, I want to orbit my life around you. And when we do that, we start to experience his life within us and and his strengthening. That's where fruitfulness comes from. Sarah and I were talking this week about something that I was feeling a bit anxious about and I was just telling her how I felt about it and she basically said to me often when we feel anxious that is a prompt for us to pray, to come to God if you like, to surrender the concerns we had and it was really helpful for me to hear it. It was also a little frustrating because I had said that a few weeks ago myself but I'd completely forgotten to apply it to my own life. But surrendering is so often actually about strengthening. You see, when we pray, when we're, we're basically making ourselves vulnerable, we're admitting, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I feel powerless. And in some sense, we're surrendering, we're admitting, this is who I am, and God, I know this is who you are, and we're coming to him, we are positioning ourselves in the right way. And that's so often when we feel strengthened. Interestingly, earlier in Philippians 4, Paul writes these words as well. He says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, if you surrender your requests to God, then the peace of God will come and literally guard your heart and your mind. You will, if you like, be strengthened by peace coming. Now, I don't know how that always works. I just know that is what happens. I know that when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you and he births something and someone new in you by his Spirit. And I know that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is referred to sometimes as the comforter, which can also be translated as the fortifier or the strengthener. As we surrender to him, as we, if you like, open up to God again, as we admit our vulnerability, he comes, he strengthens, he guards, he speaks peace to us. 
And I guess that leads me to the final thing I want to say as we close, and, and that is this, that often when we think about the exhortation to guard our own hearts, often we will immediately think about the things we should do. We're, we want to be active about it. And in many ways, that's a great attitude. But actually, so much about guarding is simply coming to Jesus. It's simply surrendering to him again and admitting where we feel vulnerable and making our requests and asking him by his spirit to come and guard our hearts. Because, And often when he does that, what happens is he comes to remind us by his spirit, not of really often the things that we need to do, but more often than not, at least in my experience, of who we already are. That I'm a son, I'm forgiven, that I'm loved, that I am already accepted. Because to guard my heart is to know again that I'm accepted. You see, when we are prone to give our attention, our focus to the wrong things, when we give all our energy to our external world, we, and ignore maybe the condition of our own heart, so much of that activity can be fueled because we are so easily forgetting that we're already accepted. We do it in order to validate our own experience. But when I remember, when I'm reminded by the Spirit that I'm already accepted, and I remember again that He loves me, that I'm, I've, I've, if you know, I've already come home, then I don't have to try and validate my life by some great achievement or some notoriety or whatever it is. I'm not driven by those things because if, in some senses I've already arrived. And so therefore, it means Proverbs 4 is right. It means that all I have to do, I have to place first priority on abiding, on planting myself in Jesus, on walking with him. And from that place, he promises to direct my life to lead me into fruitfulness and fruitfulness that will last. So we're going to worship together now. We've got a little bit longer. And I want to just encourage you as we come and worship to, if you like, to expect to experience God wherever you are right now, that his presence is with you and to come to him, to surrender to him, to, to allow him to strengthen you, to speak peace to you and say to him, God, I need you to help guard my heart because I want your life to flow from me and you to draw me and lead me into all the things you want me to do. Let's worship him now.